Welcome to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Just ahead on today's show, a couple of conversations about school choice. ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, calls it education freedom, the ability to send your child to school or alternative education environments of your choice. We'll talk about whether the government should help pay for it. But first, the wealthy in Louisiana pay a far smaller share of their income in state and local taxes compared to low- and middle-income families. That's according to a new national report out this month from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. It's what we call a regressive tax system, one that burdens those with less money with paying more to the government. The report says Louisiana's regressive tax code is due largely to the use of sales tax to finance state and local government operations. And to talk with us about that, we have Ian Moeller, executive director of the Louisiana Budget Project. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. So tell me about the basics of this report and what it says about where Louisiana stands in the nation as far as how our tax system works for people. Well, as you said in the introduction, uh, this report is unique. Um, You know, there are a lot of reports out there that evaluate state tax systems. This is the only one that I'm aware of that breaks it down by income groups. Um, And the headline here is that if you are a low-income family household in Louisiana, you are paying about 13 percent of your income goes to pay state and local taxes. Uh, If you are lucky enough to be in the top 1% of income earners, uh, about 6.5% of your income goes to pay state and local taxes. So obviously the person at the very top is paying more taxes. 6.5% of a million dollars is a lot more than 13% of 15,000, but the tax burden falls disproportionately as a share of income on low-income people. That's because of the structure of our tax system, Uh, And really, when we look at our overall tax system, there are two fundamental problems uh, here in Louisiana. We don't raise enough revenue to take care of the needs that we have in this state to invest in schools, infrastructure, health care, all the things that that we need to have a thriving economy. Uh, But then when we do uh, raise that money, we raise it uh, disproportionately from uh, the people who can least afford to pay. And as you mentioned, we call this a regressive tax system. Can you describe that and what the overall effect is on people and their money when we have a regressive tax system? Well, again, regressive means that those who can least afford it pay the most and those who can most afford it pay the least as a share of income. And it's because of the structure of our tax system. Uh, Louisiana relies heavily on sales taxes uh, to finance state and local government operations, particularly at the local level, and relies comparatively less on property taxes and income taxes which, if you're structured them the right way, fall more heavily on higher-income families. Uh, Low-income people pay property taxes too. Uh, High-income people pay sales taxes. But when you're a struggling family, uh, struggling to make ends meet, maybe you make $15,000, dollars $25,000 a year, everything you earn is going to pay your basic necessities, and most of that is subject to the sales tax. If you are in the very top income brackets, then a lot of the money you make goes into savings. It goes into investments. You may spend it out of state, um, but you're not spending it on basic necessities, which consume relatively small share of of your income. And you're mentioning the use of sales taxes to fund so much of the government locally and here in the state. Sales taxes are charged in 
much, not all, but much of the country, uh, many places here in Louisiana, I think all of Louisiana has both a state and a local sales tax. Tell me about what it is about the sales tax. Is it simply too high? Well, our combined sales tax rate, when you combine the state and the local sales tax rate, um, for the last couple of decades has either been the highest in the country or right near the top. Uh, Right now, our state sales tax has a temporary 0.45 sales tax that falls off the books next year. Um, But right now, I think we might be a hundredth of a percentage point below Tennessee's. The state portion of that sales tax actually has some progressive features. At the state level, we don't tax groceries, we don't tax prescription drugs, and we don't tax home utilities All of those things are subject to sales tax at the local level. Uh, If you're a local government, your only two options for raising revenue generally are sales taxes and property taxes. Louisiana has very low property taxes compared to the rest of the country, and we have a very generous homestead exemption. The first $75,000 of the value of your primary residence, your home, is not subject to property tax. So our property taxes are pretty low. We make that up through sales taxes uh, to fund everything that local government does. Uh, and so that's the main culprit in making our system uh, more regressive than, than other states. And according to this study, Louis, you know, a lot of states have what we call you know, upside-down regressive tax system where the poor pay more than the rich. Louisiana's is the 10th most unequal in the country. So we're not the worst, but we are far from the best. Very few states actually have what we call progressive tax systems where uh, where the wealthiest pay the highest share. And it sounds like part of the public policy conversation on this, on how to do something about that, might look at sales taxes as taking up less of the proportion of what state and local government takes in. Uh, what public policy would change the tax system to be a little less regressive? Well, so we should back up for a second here and say, unlike the federal government, which prints the money and can run deficits, uh, State and local governments, cities and states have to balance their budget every year. So if you want to spend a dollar to educate a child, to build a road, to invest in health care, anything else that state and local governments do, you have to be willing to raise that dollar through taxes. You can't just put it on the credit card the way Washington does. So if we're going to have a conversation about taxes, there are two important questions you need to answer. How much money should we be raising from the citizens, and then who should pay that tax. So if we're going to reduce the state sales tax, which I think would be a good policy goal, we also have to talk about what taxes are you willing to raise to make that up and who should pay those taxes. The most progressive way that we can raise revenue in Louisiana is through a progressive income tax on corporations and individuals, particularly high earners. Uh, We have some constitutional limitations on that right now. Um, The uh, Constitution caps the state personal income tax at 4.75%, and there's a constitutional amendment that says all corporate taxes above $600 million goes into a state trust fund, so it can't be spent on kind of general operating. But uh, one other thing we can do is we can stop adding exemptions and tax breaks to our tax system. We have one of the most generous corporate tax forgiveness programs in the country. Uh, You mentioned uh, before we went on air the other ITEP, the Industrial Tax Exemption Program in Louisiana. We don't require manufacturers to pay much property tax on their operations. So there are some loopholes we could close to raise more revenue if we wanted to make our system work better for low and moderate income families. And speaking about exemptions, there are some ways where you can have 
progressive exemptions for, say, personal taxes. You mentioned the state sales tax has some exemptions, things you don't pay taxes on for state sales tax. Yet we have a lot of exemptions and you might call them loopholes for other taxes we charge on corporations. Is there something about the way we pass law that we make exemptions in our tax structure that might benefit corporations and the rich more than low and middle income citizens? Well, we do have a lot of tax breaks that benefit wealthy families uh, and wealthy corporations. Uh, but there are some tax breaks that we can have for low-income families, and that's something we've been working on at the Louisiana Budget Project for years. Uh, the Earned Income Tax Credit, almost 40 states have a state version of the Earned Income Tax Credit. Louisiana has it, but ours is uh, one of the lowest in the entire country at uh, 5% of the federal credit. So we could increase the size of the Earned Income Tax Credit. That's a credit that goes to low and moderate income Working families uh, lets them keep a little bit more of the money they earn. We could create a child tax credit. This is something the federal government does. They provide a, a tax credit for families with children. Louisiana has had proposals in recent years to create a child tax credit. Those haven't gotten through the legislature. But those are two steps that other states have taken that Louisiana could take to make sure that low-income families uh, benefit from some of the tax breaks that we already give to uh, middle and high income households and corporations. The report from the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy is called Who Pays? Jan Moeller is Executive Director of the Louisiana Budget Project. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. From WRKF and WWNO, this is Louisiana Considered. And now a conversation about school choice, or as our next guest refers to it, education freedom. It's an important element of the education system, particularly here in Louisiana, where the charter school and magnet school movement is growing. In New Orleans, after all, we have an entire school district composed of charter schools. The American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, last year released a report that ranks Louisiana 14th in the nation when it comes to education freedom. ALEC is a group of state legislators dedicated to conservative principles like limited government, free markets, and federalism. Andrew Handel is with ALEC and directs its Education and Workforce Development Task Force. He joins us now. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. To start with, what do you mean by education freedom? Yeah, so education freedom is simply making sure that we're empowering parents and families to access as many different educational options as possible, whether that's a public school, private school, homeschool, virtual school, um, whatever choice it may be. It's basically just recognizing that every student learns in their own way, and uh, we want to make sure that those unique learning needs are being uh, taken care of. And what factors did you look at exactly when you ranked the states? Yeah, so we looked at five scoring categories. Uh, the first is funding and financing, which is where we take a look at um, tax credit scholarship programs, voucher programs, education savings account programs, um, and we rank those um, in the states that have them. Uh, the second category we looked at was charter schools. The third category was homeschools. The fourth was virtual schools. And then last but not least, we had open enrollment, which is basically your public school choice. That's you know kind of the term we use for um, making sure that students can access a public school, not just the one that they're geographically assigned to, uh, whether it's inside of their school district or outside of their district. And the report gives Louisiana a C letter grade, but ranks 14th in the nation. Can you explain what went into that ranking, what it means? Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. Louisiana was uh, ranked 14th in this report, which is very good. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, you know, the state scored fairly average in the virtual schools and open enrollment categories. Um, you know, the biggest um, issue we saw with Louisiana was the funding and financing area. Um, the state has a couple of programs at least right now, but they're fairly limited in terms of which students can access them and uh, the amount of money that's given to the students through scholarships is a uh, fraction of what a public school would otherwise spend. What would an A score look like? What would Louisiana have to do to score an A? You mentioned the the funding and financing. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the biggest thing there is, um, you know, having universal programs in place. Uh, we've got 10 states now in just the past two years or so have passed uh, universal programs, many of those universal education savings account programs, which are kind of the, the gold standard in education freedom policy. You know, those allow uh, families to spend the money not just on private school tuition, but also on instructional materials or uh, therapies for a student with special needs or standardized testing fees. You know, the list goes on and on. So, you know, making sure that, you know, there's a program like that in place for all students in the state would definitely go a long way towards uh, maximizing uh, education freedom in Louisiana. So back to the basic question here. In Alex's opinion, why is education freedom, as you call it, important? Yeah, um, you know, education freedom is important, you know, because we, you know, it's making sure that we're recognizing every student has their own unique way of learning. And if they're going to learn best and achieve the most in their local public school, we think that's great. And parents should absolutely send their child to that public school and the funding should stay with that public school. Um, but there are going to be kids who would learn better in a virtual school or in a homeschool. We want to make sure that that those options are still realistic possibilities for those families, um, you know, especially low-income families. We're speaking with Andrew Handel with ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. We're talking about its State Education Freedom Index. Andrew, tell me your response to some of the criticisms of some of these programs that put forward this idea of school choice. What about the role of traditional public schools? The programs you're talking about use public dollars to fund selective education for a limited number of families, often private education for just select families. In practice, they take money away from public schools, which in some parts of the country, including many places in Louisiana, is the only form of education that children have access to. What do you say to that? Yeah, um, you know, I, I would say that um, especially in the areas where the public school might be the only choice, families who continue to send their kids to public schools, the money still stays with that public school. You know, basically the the core concept of education freedom is making sure that the funds are following the student, not the system. So we don't just want to be sending the dollars, you know, straight to a public school when the student isn't going to be taught in that public school. So also, you know, there's a couple of different pots of money that we look at. So Usually, when we're talking about education and savings account programs or tax credit scholarships, it's only the state portion of funding for education that's actually going to follow the student to whatever educational environment is best for them. Um, the local money, and in most cases, the federal money, still stays with the public school, even though the student is no longer there. So in practice, what we actually see is total funding per pupil goes up when we have more participation in these programs because some of that money still stays behind with the public school, even though the student is no longer being taught there. Would you say that education freedom is possible without publicly funded private education? 
Um, you know, I, I would say that education freedom is, is, you know, possible when we've got all options available to families. Um, you know, so, you know, we mentioned the example of low-income families who might have a student who would succeed the most in a private school nearby. Um, you know, we're going to advocate for making sure that state education dollars follow that student. Especially here in the South after years of desegregation and the rise of private schools and choice schools like charters and magnets. We have research now that points to some negative impacts for disadvantaged students who remain in schools that effectively remain segregated, schools drained of the more advantaged students. What solution do you think there there would be to this the starker side of school choice? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think actually most studies find positive impacts, you know, from education freedom programs. And, um, you know, especially when we're not limiting these policies to um, certain groups of students. So, you know, that's ultimately how we make sure that these are, um, you know, going to help disadvantaged students, low-income students. You mentioned those studies about the outcomes for students when they're involved in school choice programs, those school quality concerns. Switching here to Louisiana, the Louisiana Scholarship Program, they had evaluations that found voucher participants on average scored lower than their peers in public schools on the state's test, especially in math. So these performance metrics don't look like a universal truth with school choice nationwide necessarily. What do you say to school quality concerns like that? What measures should be in place to make sure the students actually perform better? Yeah, no, I, I would say, you know, the biggest thing is making sure that these programs are available to all students. Um, you know, that's really the the thing that we center our, our focus on. Um, you know, when it comes to Louisiana's voucher program, um, you know, they've actually got two voucher programs right now, um, as well as one tax credit scholarship program, the tuition donation program. You know, each of those is very limited in terms of who can participate. Uh, the tax credit scholarship, just 45% of families are eligible in the state for that. Um, the Student Scholarships for Educational Excellence program, just 35% of families are eligible. And then the School Choice program for certain students with exceptionalities, just 11%. And in each of these, the average scholarship value is just 35% of what the average public school would spend on teaching that student. You know, this is only the state portion of money that's following the student, not the local and the federal funds. Speaking more to Louisiana policy, Louisiana lawmakers plan to reintroduce legislation regarding education savings accounts, ESAs, in the coming session, bills that previously failed or were vetoed by Governor John Bell Edwards. What policies do you think the state should approve and what safeguards, if any, do you think they should include to address some of those concerns? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously universal ESAs are uh, the gold standard in education freedom. So we definitely recommend that the legislature pursue that as a policy. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, you mentioned um, accountability. We've we've had some really good results with these programs in other states. Um, Arizona, for example, finding that less than one percent of total ESA funds there are um, misspent. So, um, you know, so far we we've seen really you know really strong accountability. Did any states score an A in this ranking? Yeah, so we had three states score an A. Uh, we had Florida, Arkansas, and Indiana were the three that scored um, an A. So there's a common theme there. You know, each of them have universal education freedom programs, and then they've, you know, got really strong policies in place to make sure that all families can access all forms of education. You know, whether that's public school, private school, homeschool, virtual school, whatever that might be. 
Andrew Handel directs Alex Education and Workforce Development Task Force, which released its State Education Freedom Index. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. And for some more context on school choice, I'm joined now by our education reporter, Aubrey Uhas. Hi, Aubrey. Hi, Adam. You listened in on that conversation. What jumped out to you? Yeah, a few things. And and the big one was kind of this philosophical question that was echoing in my head the entire time. And that's what is the role of government when it comes to education? Um, and, you know, as voters in a state, what role do we want the government to have? So your guest suggested that since public schools don't work for all students, they should be able to leave the system and take public dollars with them. And I want to acknowledge here that for some families in Louisiana and elsewhere, scholarships to attend private schools are this really important lifeline. But when the government's the one paying for it, it raises these much larger questions about our goals for education and how do we meet them. Do we allow people to exit the system and take public dollars with them? Or should we be focused on fixing public schools so they can work for all students? Uh, Can we do both of these things at the same time? So it quickly becomes an issue of competing priorities, especially when it comes to money. Okay. So what do we know about Louisiana's financial priorities then? Yeah. So we know right now that because the programs Louisiana has are pretty narrow, uh, we don't spend a ton of money on them. And that was something that the ALEC report pointed out that, you know, we could do better in their opinion. Um, The legislature has been really clear that they want to expand these programs. And that would mean spending more money, you know, directing kind of more of our existing funding towards these programs. Um, And the reason why they haven't done that yet is because we've had a Democrat for governor for the last eight years. Governor John Bell Edwards vetoed bills for broader programs that landed on his desk, and he cited the harm that they could cause the public school system because of the loss in funding. Um, And part of the issue here that doesn't get talked about as much is that we just don't spend a lot of money on education in general. Um, Other states have much higher per pupil spending. And we haven't had a meaningful increase in state funding in a really long time. Um, So seeing any money leave the system could be really detrimental for schools. And I heard you mention that having Governor Jumbo Edwards in office is what blocked a lot of those policies from being signed into law. Uh, Governor Edwards isn't in office anymore. Right, right. So that's kind of the reason why we're at this turning point, potentially. Uh, Governor Jeff Landry has said kind of in broad terms that he supports, you know, parents' right to choose and really chart their children's education, um, you know, whether that is public or private or any other number of things. Um, So if the legislature has kind of the same priorities that it has had in recent years, um, we would expect more expansion programs to pass, and there's no reason why Landry would veto them. Um, So we could see in the near future a system, you know, that is potentially universal, like Florida and some other states, in which case we would have a lot more money being spent on these programs. And one of the things to think about is whether families with enough money to afford to send their kids to private school um, should be getting help from the government to do that, because that's what universal programs will effectively do. Is there anything else people should be thinking about? Yeah, I think there are still a lot of questions when this comes to the impact on kids. Your guest made the argument that leaving the public school system largely benefits those who take advantage. Um, But the research is really mixed on that. There are some studies that show positives. There are some studies that show negatives. As you did a good job pointing out, the research that we have in Louisiana um, showed that kids who left the system did worse on standardized tests. Um, And the experts I've spoken with argue that that, coupled with the potential for funds to be misused, doesn't make it a smart financial decision or necessarily the right one for kids. Because remember, private schools don't follow the same accountability standards as public schools. Mm -hmm. And this won't be the last word about school choice. 
here on the station. You're going to be talking more about school choice on our air later this week. Is that right? Right. We're having a a big week for school choice discussions. Uh, The Middle with Jeremy Hobson is taping here in New Orleans this week, and I'll be helping tee up that conversation. Jeremy's going to be speaking with two education researchers. And if you haven't listened to The Middle before, it's a call-in show. And I know people have a lot of thoughts on this topic, so now's your chance to share them and get your questions answered, too. All right. Thanks for your time, Aubrey. You're welcome. Barbara Uhas is our education reporter at WWNO and WRKF. And that does it for Louisiana Considered on a Wednesday. A thank you to our guests today, Jan Moeller with Louisiana Budget Project, Andrew Handel with the American Legislative Exchange Council. I'm Adam Voss. Thanks for listening. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Tulane School of Public Health.